What would it take for your brother to convince you that he was God? That's what we'll be discussing today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, an apologetics podcast to help equip Christians to engage the culture through biblical, critical thinking. Your hosts for this podcast are Robbie Lashua and Tyler Hurley. Robbie is pastor of apologetics at Desert Springs Community Church, as well as professor of apologetics, worldview, and ethics at Mission Bible Institute. He is a graduate of Phoenix Seminary, as well as a graduate of the Master's in Christian Apologetics program at Biola University. Tyler is currently earning his undergraduate degree in theology at Grand Canyon University and currently serves as an apologetics intern at Desert Springs Community Church. Hello, you are listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee, and we are back with our 52nd episode. 52, it's been a year. Yeah, a whole year, and so that's uh, something to celebrate, really. That's kind of awesome, a big milestone, a year. Definitely. You don't, look, you don't look a day older. I mean, Tyler, you, you know, look pretty much the same as you did last year. I mean, I had braces last time, so I mean, last year, so oh, that's that's, true. that's one thing, but I mean, yeah. That's, yeah, that's one difference. I've still, that's about <laughs> it, though. I look about the same, so. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's good. You'll start changing. Yeah. Yep. You're going to get older. Years. Yep. Hair's going to grow out of places you <laughs> least expect it. Yeah. I'm not talking from experience. I hear from other people. Hear now. about it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, that's great. <laughs> but yeah, but uh, we're excited though, because today we are going to be talking about more evidence for the resurrection. Yes. Yes. The most important mm-hmm. aspect of Christianity is if Jesus rose from the dead, then Christianity follows. If he didn't, uh, we're all idiots for yeah, following yeah. This, this thing that's based on nothing. Yes. And so uh, if this is your First time in the series of listening. Uh, this is only our second episode into the Resurrection series, mm-hmm. so uh, we're going to be continuing throughout the rest of the month of April on this, so be sure to keep following along with that. Yes. But yeah, but before we get into that, we have some more stuff on coffee, as we always start the show with coffee tips. Yes, coffee tips are important. Um, this coffee tip is a weird one. Uh, and I don't think a lot of people know this. Actually, I was asking you about it earlier, and you were like, I don't know. You well, I got, one, I got of one of them right. Yeah. yeah. So so the question is, uh, the coffee tip is, uh, what two states in the United States grow yeah. coffee? Because we talk all the time about coffee in Brazil and in Rwanda and in Nicaragua, right, Indonesia. Right. Um, but does America grow any coffee? And actually, yes, there are two states that grow coffee, American-grown coffee. One of them I think is very obvious, and most listeners will know this, is uh, Hawaii, <laughs> right, grows coffee. Uh, because uh, Kona coffee comes from... Hawaii. Right. And so um, that's that's one. But then where else, right, is coffee grown? Yeah, it's funny because I guessed that one right, but I didn't get Hawaii. Yeah, you I didn't know. know. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> but you guessed this one. The second state, the the only other state where coffee is grown and, and you can buy it and get it commercially uh, is California. Mm. California-grown coffee. I don't know if I've ever had it, though. Well, you know, the thing is... I might have and just not have known. Yeah. That's the thing. Like it's it's just cuz it, you think of the best coffee beans in the world and it's mm-hmm. mostly in other countries outside Yeah, I wouldn't of the think United California. States. Yeah. <laughs> just not. But maybe it's really great. I don't know. I am going to I think I'm going to order some and try it out. Yeah, and if you yourself have specifically had beans from California for your coffee, 
uh, go ahead and send us a message or something and just let us know what it was like. Yeah, let us know if they're good. In hearing. Yeah, I, I'm curious to know. I'm so. pretty curious. I've had a lot of Kona coffee, and that's great. Yeah, uh, I've Hawaii never had that, great. but yeah, I'd love to try it at some point. Oh, it's so good. But yeah, California grown. So the two states that grow coffee in America, Hawaii and California. California. Yep, Hawaii and California. So that's your coffee tip, coffee treat. Yeah, that's crazy because I used to think that uh, it was probably just that we had all our coffee imported because that's where mm-hmm. the best coffee is from. So well, I think I most like, is imported. I don't know how I'm pretty many people sure. are yeah, I don't... using California coffee. And, and that, I guess you could say yeah. that Hawaii is imported. It's at yeah, least shipped, it kind of maybe, is, yeah. right? It's at least shipped. <laughs> well, I mean, that's kind of how it is for everything out there, too. They have yeah. to have everything imported. Yeah, that's true, say, so. yeah. But anyway, so that's an interesting tip for you. So now you know where you can get some good American coffee. Yes. Yep. Well, I'm excited about this topic for today. This is this this is one of my favorite topics within a topic. Yeah, you yeah. <laughs> know we're going to be talking about. So Exactly. So I love talking about the resurrection and the evidences for it. And there's just there is there's so much good evidence for it. I I, I feel like not feel. I don't want to say that. <laughs> I think uh, I've reasoned. I see evidence that it is true that this guy really rose from the dead. Jesus actually came out of the grave. It's the only thing that makes sense of all the data we have from mm-hmm. history. Yes, yes. And so speaking of the data through history, um, Robbie, you have some stuff, uh, some information in front of you there on uh, some early creeds and uh, evidences of First Corinthians What talk about what the topic today that has some backstory information about yeah. James, right? Yeah. So this is a this is really important for us to as Christians to understand uh, just how how uh, history works uh, and how the Bible and the the ancient manuscripts of the New Testament uh, work in regards to giving us evidence for the resurrection. So when you read the Bible, the New Testament especially, um, the resurrection stories are in the Gospels. But the Gospels were written uh, later in time than other New Testament books. Okay, so Paul wrote a lot of his letters before the Gospels were written, even though the Gospels are about events that are earlier than Paul's letters. Does that make sense to you? Yes, that okay. makes sense. <laughs> it's complicated, but you know, a, a lot of people believe that you know Mark was written first, and it was probably in the fifties. Um, yeah, some people say forties, but probably in the fifties. No, it makes sense. They 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 lived through what happened. You're yeah. not. You, they didn't necessarily write about it the moment it was happening. Well, they, they got just... busy making disciples, right? Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, they went around the world. Yeah, and so then later they're like, you know, we need to share this with people, so let's yep. record this. So yeah, it makes it makes total sense. Yep, and th- so that's what they did. Um, and so Luke and Luke and Matthew were probably written in the l- mid to late fifties, early sixties, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then John, uh, most people believe, was written in the nineties. Uh, right. So it's way later. Um, anyway, so so they're, they're, those those are good. Very good manuscripts for us to to accurately look at history. Uh, we would say they're eyewitness accounts, right? Matthew mm-hmm. is at least. Uh, Mark is because it's it's Peter uh, giving his story and John Mark writing yeah. it down. And Lu- I mean, Luke maybe not, right? But yeah, he, but he, he interviewed Mary people. too, so it's like yeah, we know Luke interviewed was, Mary. Yeah. He inv- he was a companion of Paul. We know he met James, Jesus' brother. All, all of these things. Yeah, so he was involved heavily with this. Yeah. yeah, well, and he says at the beginning he interviewed people and he he looked for sources on what yeah, happened yeah. and he compiled it all. He was a scholarly guy. Yeah, so um, so those are good. They're very good um, sources, but they're not our earliest sources. Because Paul's letters, um, uh, some of them are earlier 
than some of the Gospels. Uh, like 1 Corinthians is, is probably um, uh, written around 50, uh, 55, mid-50s mm-hmm. A.D. And again, we talked about that vaguely last week, but the, uh, this is also one of the books that's uh, agreed upon by both Christians and non-Christians that Paul wrote this, correct? Yeah, so I have a quote here from Bart Ehrman, who is not a Christian. Uh, he's right. a New Testament scholar, but he's an agnostic-leaning atheist, uh, an, an agnostic-leaning toward atheism, is right, what I should right. say. But this is what he says. Uh, this is a quote. The seven letters that virtually all scholars agree Paul wrote, the so-called undisputed Pauline epistles, are Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians, First Thessalonians, and Philemon. Okay. So Bart Ehrman, the non-Christian scholar, says we're pretty sure these seven books are, are literally ones Paul wrote. These seven letters are really written by the Apostle Paul, the, the same one that Christians believe was a historical figure right. that, that this guy actually wrote. Right, and, that, and that's not to say that the other epistles that we have from Paul weren't written by him. It just no. saying that those are the ones that were like completely agreed upon by all yeah. parties. Yes, Paul wrote this. Yeah, and I agree. I, I think Paul wrote all the letters we have in the Bible. Uh, yeah, I would say, say so them. as well. They have arguments against yeah. it, but they're pretty, they're pretty weak. Um, anyway, but we don't have time to get into all right, that today. Right, of course, but, of course, but, just vaguely. But what we're trying to do here, and this is this is a technique Gary Habermas developed called the minimal facts approach. He basically said, okay, I'll take the letters of Paul that scholars agree he wrote, and from that, I'm going to develop arguments that the resurrection happened. So this is this isn't uh, you know the gospel because they'll say oh the gospels are later they're legendary okay fine I don't need, I don't need those I'll show you how early and how good the the documents are from Paul's undisputed letters that the resurrection occurred yeah so that's, that's great I think it's a that's good method great. and not that I don't believe the gospels are accurate it's mm-hmm. just we don't need them and they're not our early sources so within um, Acts within the gospels within Paul's letters you have you have the guys who wrote this quoting stuff okay mm-hmm. like in you know in um, off the top of my head in um, the pastoral epistles like in first and second Timothy and Titus Paul says things like this is a trustworthy statement and then he quotes something it's already something the people he's writing to knew like Timothy or Titus they already know this it's some kind of a creed or an early christian song or something and he's quoting to them something they know it'd be like if i was you know preaching a sermon and i didn't i didn't say and now i'm going to quote the song amazing grace but just <laughs> in my in my presentation i said you know amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me everyone would know oh he's quoting the song Right? Yeah, that would so, make sense. So within within these books, we have these quotes, these early Christian creeds. And so if think think about this. If somebody's quoting something, the quote is older than the book they're writing. Okay, yeah. Okay, so that's where we're at with this. So one of the creeds we find in 1 Corinthians, which is an undisputed book that Paul wrote, comes from 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8. So I'm going to read that. Paul says... For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, mm-hmm. he appeared to me also. Yes, and so that's uh, that's really important too, because 
uh, something that we were going to touch on when you're looking at uh, verse 7 there, it mentions he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Yes, and, and, but he appeared to the 12 first, then to James, then to all the apostles, then to Peter. And this is yes. actually a chronological order. Right. Uh, quote. So here's the thing about this, about this creed. Um, Paul is, is writing this in 1 Corinthians, which was probably written around 55 AD. Mm-hmm. We know Paul went to Corinth probably around um, 51 AD, which is about 21 years after Jesus' crucifixion. Okay? Yeah, right. And there's, again, we don't have time to get into it, but there's this whole archaeology argument because of this um, this governor who was in Corinth who Paul stood on trial before. Um, so we can pinpoint when he was in Corinth, around 51 AD. So he says in this letter he wrote in 55, I delivered to you, which means when I came there four years ago, <laughs> I yeah. told you this. So this creed is something that Paul had already told the Corinthians. So it's older than 1 Corinthians. Wow. Does that make yeah. sense? It's yes. older than 1 Corinthians. Yes. He's Paul, just including it. He's just right he's just reminding them. Mm-hmm. I already told you this. I delivered it to you as of first importance. So he delivered it to them in 51 AD. But he also says, I delivered to you what I had also received. So okay. the question becomes, okay, so Paul had this quote, this creed, before he went to Corinth. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, that makes complete okay. sense. So the question we need to ask is, when did Paul receive it? <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's older than 1 Corinthians. It's older than Paul's missionary journey to Corinth because mm-hmm. he already had it when he got there, right? Um, so how old is it? Well, if we look at another undisputed letter of Paul, Galatians, we can piece together when he would have received it. Now, again, we don't have time to get into um, – all of the details of this, and Gary Habermas has done a phenomenal job of this. If you want to, if you want to get the details of yeah. all of this, just look up Gary Habermas minimal facts approach, and mm. you will have. I mean, his books are phenomenal. I was going to say he's he's got a couple books that are like really good. Oh, he's this. he's yeah. the expert on the resurrection. He's the best. Gary Habermas, mm. H A B E R M A S, and uh, we'll put notes in the in the show notes uh, and links to his yes, stuff yes. because you've got to read him. But basically, this is this is the gist of the argument. Paul had this creed when he went to Corinth. If we look at Galatians 1 and 2, uh, Paul, in his own words, according to the atheist New Testament scholars, because Galatians is an undisputed letter, uh, he, he tells us about his conversion experience, right? And in there, in uh, Galatians 1, 15 through 17, he mentions um, that, that God— uh, that Jesus revealed himself to him, right, on the road to Damascus, and that he didn't go to Jerusalem immediately, but he went away to Arabia um, for about three years, and then he returned. And then it says, and I do want to read this, in Galatians 1, 18 through 20, Then three years later I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, and I stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, what I, in what I'm writing to you, okay. I assure you before God that I am not lying. All right, so this is what Paul is saying. Uh, I got converted. Yeah. freaked me out. I went to Arabia. Three years after that experience, I went to Jerusalem to try to talk with the apostles. And the, the people I saw were Cephas, which that's Peter, mm-hmm. and then James, Jesus' brother. 
This is what, in Paul's own words, according to the atheist, this is what he says happened to him. Okay, so Jesus' uh, resurrection is is around, you know, 30 or 33 AD, depending on, on which way you think about that. And then Paul's conversion experience is probably two to three years after that. And then you've got this uh, three-year gap after Jesus shows up to Paul before he goes to Jerusalem. So you're talking about a six-year at the most time span between when Paul goes to Jerusalem and when Jesus rose from the dead. And the word he says there in Galatians is he says, I went to become acquainted. Uh, in Greek, that's the word hysterese, hysterese, which is where okay. we get our word yeah. history from. So he's saying, I went to get a historical account. Right. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. So he, he, he goes to Peter, who is you know, one of the top disciples, and then G- James, Jesus' brother, who's the head of the church of Jerusalem, and he hysteraces with them. So most everybody agrees that's where he got this creed, because he has it when he goes to uh, when he goes to Corinth later. Right. Yeah. And then also he he actually goes back. 15, uh, 14 years later, when the Jerusalem Council happens, which is in Acts chapter 15, um, and, and it says he goes and asks them to make sure he had the real gospel. And he says he was in private with James and John yes. and with Peter. And he says that I, I laid before them what I'd be presenting. And he says to make sure I hadn't run in vain. He kind of freaked out and thought, what if I'm telling people a yeah, lie? And he yeah, says that good. they added nothing to him and they gave him the mm-hmm. right hand of fellowship. So that's not where he received this news. He, he must have had it before the Jerusalem council. So all of that to say this creed from 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8, at least goes back to six years after the the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Right. So people are saying what six years later? He died, he was buried, he rose again on the third day, and he appeared to Peter, all the disciples, uh, 500 people at one time, his half-brother James, all the apostles, and then eventually Paul says, and he appeared to me. Yeah. So that's what people are saying that early on. Now— this is what's fascinating. Uh, there's people who are very much non-Christians, and doing the historical analysis of this creed from 1 Corinthians and studying the things that we've kind of briefly touched on, they come to these conclusions. Uh, the Jesus Seminar, uh, which is super liberal, hardly believes any of the New Testament is actually true or is actually original. <laughs> um, they believe that this creed could not have developed more than two years after Jesus' death. Now, they don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. But they but would say death, yeah. they would say this say saying that. was around in Jerusalem about two years after his death. Okay, uh, Gerd Ludemann, who is a New Testament scholar in Germany, he's an atheist, and he says that it couldn't be more than three years after the death of Jesus that this creed was being spread and stated around Jerusalem. Uh, Larry Hurtado and Richard Bauckham, uh, Hurtado is from Edinburgh, and uh, Richard Bauckham is from Cambridge. Um, they say that uh, that this material is about um, somewhere between a, a year to six months. Okay. After the the events of Jesus. Well, so death. that's that's pretty recent. That's very yeah. early. And when you're looking at historical, I mean, that's what that's what I meant. Sorry. Yeah. Recent well, after the resurrection. Yeah. That's, that's so what I meant. whenever you're looking at historical documents, one of the things you want to look for is how close to the events it's it's saying it's about, mm. is it? That's extremely close. Yeah, well, I yeah. mean, think about it. Like, if if I really wanted to know a lot about, let's say, George Washington, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I can. I, it would be a better source to 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 read somebody who lived at the same time period as him, who knew him, who'd interviewed him and written about him, versus somebody who writes a biography now. Mm-hmm. about him because they're not a primary source they're like a secondary or third type source because they're relying on other yes, sources yeah so it's better to know people who are around at the time it's the same with this uh it's better to have early sources that were close to the events uh geographically but also chronologically okay so so that's why this is important is because it's it's very early it's very early it's yes. huge so this is this creed is earlier documentation of the resurrection than any of the books of the new testament yeah and that's that's huge does that make that's sense fantastic. it's embedded yeah. in the book of the new testament but we know through analysis that it is earlier documentation and so with this creed, what we want to do is we want to um, build a case for the resurrection. Again, the atheists agree this is a super early creed. So the question we want to ask is what would possess people to be saying the same in the town where this event supposedly happened if it didn't happen? Yeah, that's right. That's what, that's what we're trying to figure that's out here. That's a good here. point, yeah. So over the next few weeks, we're going we're gonna to take pieces of the creed and what it's claiming and really investigate it. But for today, uh, we want to hone in on um, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7, where it says, he then he appeared to James, right? Yes, yes. So who is this James? Yeah, well, obviously, this James that is being discussed here would have to be Jesus' half-brother because... The reason for that is the apostle, uh, the well, James of the twelve, was already mentioned previously in this passage, and then later his ha- Jesus's half brother was mentioned. So yeah, there's clearly a distinction here between the two. Is the yeah, because some people will say, "Well, this must be James the yeah. disciple." Well, uh, technically, there, there's multiple James listed in the New Testament. Well, there's, yeah. uh, I think there's three, if I'm not mistaken, three. Three that are mainly mentioned. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. There's yeah, at least two. Something like that. Two or three. Yeah. And it's like, it's crazy just because uh, we, we can see that there's a clear distinction made because if this was James, uh, one of the, like of the 12, he, he, then why would Paul list here in verse seven of First Corinthians 15, where he says, and he appeared to James, then to all the apostles yeah. and listed him separately. Oh, like, uh, whereas beforehand he listed, yeah, he appeared to the 12 yeah, James, John's brother, the fisherman. Yes, he, right. He would have been in the 12, which is in verse 5. And then to say James again, it's redundant if it's the same person. Yeah. So it must yeah. be a different person. It would have to be. Uh, yeah. And then why would he only specifically list that same person? Yeah, why wouldn't he list yeah, well, well, you know what Bartholomew I mean? and Yeah, Judas and then he doesn't and, elaborate yeah. on that afterwards. He just said, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. like if this was the James of the 12... Mm-hmm. Then why mention him by name and not the others? That's that's yes. the that's the question. So it would have to be Jesus's half brother James because that's who was outside of that group. Yeah, and and James Jesus half brother would be known to the Corinthians because he became the head of the church in Jerusalem. And actually, I think it's in a uh, First Corinthians chapter sixteen verse one, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Uh, after Paul talks about this resurrection chapter of of chapter 15. In 16.1, he talks to the, the Corinthians and says that they need to take together a collection, an offering, to send back to the church at Jerusalem. So they would have been familiar with okay, James because yeah. he's the head of the church at Jerusalem. Yeah, so, no, that makes that makes complete sense. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So so for sure, we, what we want to do is hone in on verse 7, that he appeared to James. So what does this help us establish um, for the resurrection? Does, does the fact that Jesus' half-brother... Um, 
became part of the church, and and there's a claim that right. Jesus appeared to him. How how can this be used to prove that Jesus uh, rose from the dead? Now, a lot of people will say, well, you know, Jesus didn't have any siblings; he was born of a virgin. But um, it says he was a virgin. Uh, it says Mary was a virgin, um, but when she was pregnant with Jesus, and then she had Jesus, right? Right. But there is a command that Joseph isn't supposed to have sex with Mary until after Jesus is born, which implies. After he's born, you can have sexual relationships with your wife. Yeah, that's supposed to yeah. happen. And right. so, and Jesus' siblings are mentioned um, all throughout Scripture in many, many places, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Matthew thirteen fifty five mentions it. Luke eight nineteen. John two twelve. First Corinthians nine five. Uh, Galatians one nineteen. All over the place mentioned that Jesus had siblings. Um, it mentions that he has brothers, but it also mentions he had sisters. That's true. Yes, Which I think it does. Is interesting. Yeah, and, and so uh, that's that's something important to think about. Is just that that would probably be the case, and that's that's the whole point of what we're getting at here is that because Jesus's sibling was convinced that he was God, that is evidence of the resurrection in itself, and that's what yeah. we're going to be getting into. So yeah, yep, definitely. Well, and so so you've got James, who's one of Jesus' brothers. Actually, the 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 references we just mentioned, they talk about Jesus' brothers being James, Joseph, Judas, mm-hmm. Simon, plus he's got a bunch of sisters. Right. So I guess these are technically half-brothers, right? <laughs> That's true. Half-siblings, because they yeah. come from Mary, but Joseph wasn't Jesus' dad. So mm-hmm. so, uh, so they're still... But still they are brothers, still yeah. brothers and sisters, yes. Yep. And so... Somebody, you, you know, you might be out there thinking, well, where were these guys, you know, in the Gospels? Why didn't the Gospel talk about Jesus' siblings too much? Why weren't they a part of his ministry? What, you know, who, why is he getting all these other disciples? Why, what were his brothers doing when he was uh, uh, performing his public ministry before the crucifixion? Well, if we look at scriptures about Jesus' brothers, they didn't like him. <laughs> at all. And so I think that's a that's a pretty fascinating yeah. point here. Um Well, yeah, that's interesting cuz you got to you got to think why why wouldn't they like him, right? Cuz yeah. I mean, he's the son of God, he's sure. he's he's perfect, he's without sin, he is yeah. blameless. So you would think, okay, why would why would they not like him, right? And but then if you turn that around and think about it, mm-hmm. how would you like it if your sibling was perfect. It'd be horrible. And never did anything wrong. I hate him. Yeah. <laughs> just, no, it's true. Yeah. Like you would hate him because, okay, so you could never say Jesus did it. Your yeah. Mom would be yeah. like, no. You couldn't cast the blame because, you're, you're, because your mom would understand, no, you yep. know, you know. You'd have to tell the truth so he wouldn't cover for your lies. Yeah. <laughs> like you'd hate the guy. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You could never, you could never lie. Yeah. Because he would, he would call you out on it. And you could never live or up to open. being as good as your older brother. Yeah. Which that's and hard. Everything, that's really hard. Yeah, yeah. That you would just be constantly compared to the comparison mm-hmm. with that. So, so I could see that would make total sense why they would hate him yep. basically because it's like, yeah, this goody two shoes older brother. Yep. But let's look at the yeah. evidence that they did hate him. <laughs> right. <laughs> the yeah. Earliest ev- we can say that all we want, but we let's can. look at yes, the scriptures is, that point that how out. How is that? Mm-hmm. So, uh, in Mark six one through four, you want to go ahead and read that, Tyler? Yeah, of course. So. Um, so it says here, Jesus went out from there and came into his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and the many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things, and what is his wisdom? What is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles, m- miracles as these performed by his hands. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and J- 
Joseph and Judas and Simon are not his sisters here with us. And then they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and his own household. So this is an interesting statement, Mm -hmm. right? It said Jesus came to his hometown. Where is that? Nazareth. We know where he's from. Yeah. He starts preaching and doing miracles, and everybody's like, where did this guy get this stuff from? We know who this kid is. He grew up here. His brothers are here. His sisters are here. His mom's here, How does he know all of this? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So where did he get all this stuff from? And then it says they took offense at him, (laughs) and then Jesus makes this crazy statement. A prophet's not with honor except where? In his hometown. hometown. Among his own relatives and in his own household. What are these three? Okay, so uh, in his hometown, so in the community, right? Mm -hmm. By his own relatives. So now you've got all of his family members. But then he says in his own household, which Mm -hmm. means immediate family. Jesus yeah. is saying Makes here sense. his immediate family does not believe him. And well, well, obviously his mother believed him because because Mary was uh, an eyewitness at like it giving birth and seeing this miracle take place. So she yeah. knows that this is the son of God. I think she, yeah, I think so. But there's yeah. actually, there's another passage where it talks about Jesus is preaching and they come to take him away because they think he'd lost his senses. And the, yeah. the mom's with him. Oh, that's so, true. That again, is true. So his whole family's just torn apart over this. So yeah, like, yeah, they, they think he's. They think something's really off with him. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, and so, and Jesus. Okay, so back to, back to this passage in Mark six. Though. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Jesus's point is, my family doesn't believe I'm a prophet. Right. That's from his words. Without honor in his own household, my immediate family does not believe me. So that's a that's a clue as to what his brothers thought of him <laughs> before the resurrection. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Uh, we got another passage here that I think is even more yeah, interesting. Yeah. Uh, John 7, 1 through 8. Um, it says this. After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee because he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. <laughs> That's a good reason. No. <laughs> I don't want to go over there. They're going to kill me. Okay. Verse 2. <laughs> now the feast of Jews, the feast of booths, was near. Therefore his brothers said to him, Leave here and go into Judea so that your disciples may see your works which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers were believing in him. So Jesus Mm, said to them, My time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to the feast because my time has not yet fully come. So what is going on here? Right in the middle of this passage, it says his brothers were not believing in him, right? Mm -hmm. And what, what are they telling him? Well, it starts off with saying Jesus is in Galilee because if he goes to Judea, there's a hit on him, right? There, there's, a, there's a price for his head. Yeah, the Jews yeah. want to kill him. And he's saying, he's like, yeah, I can't die now. Now is not my time. So yep. he's, he's avoiding So I'm it. not yeah. going to go to Judea. And right. what do his brothers tell him? If you're such a big shot, go over there. <laughs> Jeez, like that is rough. What are they saying? They're saying, why don't you go kill yourself? 
basically, or they're saying, yeah, if you really are. If you really are such a big shot yeah, and you are so powerful, prove it, yeah. why are you hiding? Go over there. They were taunting him. It's because they it's because they knew what would happen if he did go there. That's yeah. the point. They, they yeah. wanted him to leave. It sounds a lot like um, the taunts that people were saying to Jesus when he was on the cross. Yeah. Uh, from Matthew 27, where they say, if you're really the son of God, come down from the cross, right? Yeah. They're making fun of him, implying you're not who you say you are. Yeah, he. It's just it's just crazy to think that 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 kept those ki- kinds of statements just keep coming up in Jesus's life, like as he's facing pressure, like yes, up. It's just crazy. But this is and then f- coming from his own family. Yeah, yeah. And, th- and that's what we're trying to sketch out is right. What were his brothers' thoughts of him before the resurrection? They he, Jesus says that his immediate family doesn't honor him as a prophet. Mm-hmm. Then here it literally says his brothers were not believing in him, <laughs> yeah. and they actually are telling him, "Why don't you go over there, big shot, and kill yourself?" I mean, that's a big deal, right? Yeah, that's crazy. And then another place we can we can see what his brothers thought about him are when he is crucified in John chapter 19. Mm-hmm. Do you want to read uh, 19, 25 through 27? Yeah, yeah, sure. So it says, but standing by the cross of Jesus were, were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of uh, Clopas, Clopas. Am I saying that right? Yeah, that's right. Thank you. And then... Uh, and Mary Magdalene, and then when Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. So Jesus basically just t- gave his mother over to John to mm-hmm. look after her. Yeah, that's the disciple whom Jesus loved, right. John. That's, that's mm-hmm. John's way of saying me in, in the book of John. Yeah. Yeah, and so so so. Well, what's the big deal with this? Well, doesn't mm-hmm. he have brothers? Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. I, I was just talking to you right before the podcast, Robbie, mm-hmm. about this. It's you would think if you know you know if you're dying and you're leaving your mother behind because Joseph is already dead at this point, so mm-hmm. she doesn't have her husband to look after him or yep. her. So Jesus was looking after her he's as the oldest, the oldest sibling, right? That's what he's supposed to do. Yeah. Yep. So you would think that the responsibility once Jesus is gone is for one of the older, uh, the other siblings to look after the mother, yep. correct? And James would have been the next oldest. Right, right. So that leaves you the, with the question is why did Jesus hand his mother over to a friend? Yeah, a disciple. Versus, yeah, yeah, a disciple versus family, like the mother's own son. That's what's interesting. Yeah. And so so I think that this gets to the point of thinking, okay, you know what? Maybe that's just because uh, James' his sibling didn't believe in him. They weren't believers in who yeah. he was, and but John was. Mm-hmm. John understood, and he knew that John would best know how to take care of Mary in that instance. Yep, I totally think that that is an aspect of this, is that Jesus is leaving his mom with closest... Um, I, and again, there's debate on this, but I'm pretty right. sure James yeah. and John, the sons of Zebedee, were Jesus' cousins. And yeah. so he's he's supposed to leave his mom with the closest uh, relative. And what he's doing is he's leaving his mom with the closest relative who's a believer. Yeah. But yeah. the other thing that's implied with this is his brothers aren't at the crucifixion. Yeah, that's crazy. It names it the just, people who are there. Yeah. There's his mom, some other women, but his family could care less to be there. That's that says something. <laughs> it does yeah. say something. They didn't believe in him. They that, didn't care like, about him. And you gotta, you, I mean, you gotta hate your own family member if you refuse to like be there to support them at their yep. execution. Like that's a, yep. yeah, that's that, a big deal. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, th- th- so that just 
that's just huge in this argument of bringing up the fact that Jesus's siblings just didn't like him. Before yeah. before the resurrection, they they it wasn't just didn't like him. I think they hated him. Yeah. And it goes back to what you were saying. If you had a perfect older brother, mm-hmm. you would hate the guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it only makes sense. Like I would ne- I couldn't live up to that. Um he he you know, he could do no wrong. And I mean, literally, this is the only case where that's true of any older brother, right? This this guy really can do no wrong. Yeah, it's impossible. So it's, Yeah, so you yeah. wouldn't like it at, at, at all. You couldn't live up to being like him. I'm sure your parents would compare you with him, which is just unfair. Right. Why can't you be more like Jesus? I know. Could you imagine? <laughs> like, yeah, that's what would be going on here. So prior to the resurrection, we see what you would assume would be true is that his brothers hated him. Mm-hmm. They told him to go kill himself. They weren't at his crucifixion. Jesus said they don't believe in me. And uh, he, he knows that to the point where he leaves his mom with John the disciple, not with one of his brothers. Mm. Now, the crazy part. What do we see Jesus' brother James and the other brothers doing after the resurrection, right? Mm -hmm. This is where it gets really interesting. Now, for a Christian, it makes sense. But as a non-Christian, you're reading about who James becomes um, after the resurrection. And Paul talks about James. And um, we have extra biblical sources that talk about James, which we'll get to. Yeah, and so this is this is where it becomes an evidence of the resurrection. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So who is James after? after the resurrection. Uh, Right away, Acts chapter Mm -hmm. 1. So this is right after, you know, Jesus' ascension, all of that. Yeah. Look at what it says. You want to read Acts chapter 1, 13 through 14? Yeah, yeah, of course. It says, when they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter, John, and James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. And these are all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the Marian, uh, sorry, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Okay, wait a second. So yeah, you've got you the disciples that? named. Yeah, it's all, right. all by name. You got the yeah. disciples. You've got these disciples, all with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to do what? To to pray. Pray along with Along with along women? with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers, Jesus' brothers. Wait a second. Right after the resurrection stuff <laughs> and the ascension, Acts chapter one, the brothers who hated this guy weren't at his crucifixion. Told him to go kill himself. Jesus said they don't believe I'm a prophet. Now you've got them hanging out with his disciples and praying to him. No. Okay. Yeah, yeah. What happened? No, no, you gotta, you gotta think that that's just crazy. Because the only thing that could really explain this would be something had to radically convince them. Because like overnight, because yeah. they're not at his death. Yeah, and like, then for some reason why, they're praying. To yeah, him. and then ask another question: Why would they convert after he's gone? Like yeah, if this after was he fake, died. let's yeah. say this was all fake and he didn't rise from the dead, but mm-hmm. that it was just lies that the disciples were spreading. Whatever rumor. Way you want to th- phrase it, I guess, is a yeah, if they denial of the resurrection. It made it up, yeah. yeah, if it was made up, then how come the disciple? I mean, uh, Jesus's brothers went with the disciples now 
Makes no sense. And prayed and worshipped him, bef- but rather than before when he was alive. Now, that's that's the significant point of this. There must be yeah. something that happened to them to convince them to follow their brother who they yes, didn't follow yes. prior to his death. Yes, and so that's that's kind of the big focus of our argument of this here. evidence, yes. Of, something yeah. happened to these guys. Well, and here's the thing. The First Corinthians Creed says what? Well, what happened was he appeared to James. Yeah. He showed yeah. up to his brother. That's right. Let's, let's keep going back. on, though, and let's see what else the brothers of Jesus did after mm-hmm. the resurrection. Uh, in Acts 15, uh, 1 through 21, and in Acts 21, 17 through 26, we see Jesus' brother, James, uh, and he's like the the spokesperson, possibly the final authority of the Jerusalem church. He's the guy wow. who's setting doctrine for the whole world, for all Gentiles. Um, he's he's the person everyone, even Peter, defers to on things. So, yeah. so not only do you have, okay, we pray to our brother and we hang out with his disciples, but you have his half-brother becomes the head of the church that claims his brother was God. Yes, yeah. That's, that's that's what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul talks about it in Galatians two nine that that um, that James was one of the pillars of the church. Uh, in First Corinthians nine five, I want to read this. Paul says this: uh, Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? So brothers of the Lord, those are Jesus brothers. So what is he saying? You can have a believing wife, believing what? Oh, believing Jesus is God and rose from the dead. (laughs) A believing wife like the brothers of Jesus have. Wow. So Jesus, not only are his brothers believing, but their wives are believing. And and Paul's not even arguing for that the brothers believe. He's just saying they have believing wives. He's just saying it as a statement. And I think that's because it's just commonly known at this point, too. Yeah, the brothers believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Yeah, his brothers are convinced that he rose from the dead. And James, right, being one of them, is convinced. So so that's what we see in Scripture after the resurrection that talks about the brothers. And again, really important point, 1 Corinthians, that is just what I quoted, 1 Corinthians 9, 1 Corinthians 15, Galatians 2. Mm -hmm. All of those places talk about James, and all of those are from the undisputed Pauline epistles that even the atheist scholars say legitimately were written by Paul. So that's what we have in Scripture. But what about extra-biblical sources? We have a lot of quotes from other people that talk about James, Jesus' brother, believing that his brother was God. Mm Mm-hmm. One of those is Eusebius, um, and we're not going to read these quotes, but um, Eusebius in uh, Church History uh, 2.1.5, he quotes Clement, and basically the quote says how James was thrown from the top of the temple and beaten with a club and died um, because of belief that his brother was God. (laughs) So (laughs) So he died as a martyr. It's the martyrdom story, yeah. yeah. And again, Eusebius goes on and he quotes another guy, Hegesippus, and it's it's a little more in in detail of what that yes, story yeah. is about. But it's the same thing that James claimed his brother was the savior, the Messiah, and God, and that they charged him with blasphemy. The same thing they charged Jesus with. The Jews charged Jesus yeah, with blasphemy. Right, right. And James died for the belief that his brother was God. So this is mm. who we're seeing he is after uh, the resurrection. And then we actually have Josephus, who's a non-Christian, uh, uh, first century historian. And this is mm. what he says. Do you want to read that quote uh, from Antiquities of the Jews? Yeah, yeah, of course. It says uh, right here, when therefore... Anan- 
and Ennis was of this disposition. He thought he had now a proper opportunity to exercise his authority, that is. Uh, Festus was now dead, and Albinus was uh, was uh, upon the road, so he assembled the Sanhedrin of judges and brought before them the brother of Jesus, who was called Christ, whose name was James, and some some others or some of his companions. And when he had formed an accusation against them as breakers of the law, he delivered them to be stoned. Okay. So in this quote from a Mm -hmm. non-Christian, we have a historical document that says there was this guy named James who Mm -hmm. was the brother of Jesus, the Jesus who was called the Messiah, right? The Christ. So that narrows it down a lot. Yep. And that he'd broken a law. And so whatever law he broke uh, was was worthy of him being stoned. So again, what law did he break? Uh, We know from other, uh, the the Hegesippus uh, quote from Eusebius actually, we know that James was a staunch Jew. Like he followed the law super well. They call him James the Just because of how well he followed um, the law. Yeah, so well, seems, you would try to follow the law to a T, too, if your brother was perfect, well, and he always That's did. the crazy part about this. Yeah. I haven't gotten into it a lot, but I want to study, like, the psychological makeup of James. If your brother really is perfect, mm-hmm. you're going to try to be uh, and set yourself up to be different from him, right? Yeah. You're going to try to be distinct. My own person. I've got my own identity. I don't listen to the same music as you. That kind of thing, yeah, right? right, right. Yeah. And that's what you see with James from these documents is he, it seems like he took a Nazarite vow because it talks mm. about how he wouldn't drink alcohol and he grew his hair long. Um, honestly, kind of like his cousin, John the Baptist. Yeah. It seems yeah. like maybe he was saying, I'm going to be more like that than Jesus. Yeah, and that's crazy because you see that as like he's still resentful towards his brother in a way, even though he believes in who he was. And it's kind of like— Well, but he took a vow to right, do right. something. He's oh, of course, of course. sticking with his vow. Yeah, yeah. yeah but it, I mean my point is saying it just shows that, yeah, he's trying to differentiate himself from him. Yeah, he wants his own identity. Yeah, I'm not my brother. Apart, and he's yeah. also trying to be like, yeah, look, you know what? I'm a follower of the law. I can like— yeah. I'm there's like a sibling rivalry. Yeah, he's trying to meet yeah. the standard of Jesus's perfection in a way. In a different way. In a though. different way. Yeah, of course. I'm, I'm of course. me. I'm James. I'm different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and it, that's it's, just it's so fascinating. fascinating. Yep. But exactly. then he believes that his brother's God mm-hmm. and he's willing to die for that belief. So the question becomes this. When we put together all of the evidence of who James was before Jesus' death and crucifixion and then we look at who he was right after that he was willing to die for belief that his brother was God, that he was willing to be a part of the church, pray to his brother mm. as God, and be charged with blasphemy just like his brother. Uh, what in the world happened to that guy to make him change his mind, to make him convert? <laughs> That's the thing. That's the whole argument here. And that, I mean, it makes no other sense than to describe that he genuinely like witnessed Jesus after he resurrected. Yeah, and that's and, yeah. And, and this is the thing. That's exactly what the creed in 1 Corinthians says. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't you— The early you, creed. Yeah, I mean, going back again to what we were talking about, there I feel like there are very few things that would convince you that your sibling was God. Well, like, let's talk about that. Yeah. There's nothing— <laughs> There's nothing that could convince me my brother or my sister is God. And to be honest, there's nothing that could convince them that I'm God. Why? Well, <laughs> as a Jew, right, which is what James yeah. was— and as a Jew who followed the law really well, probably took a Nazarite vow, mm-hmm. uh, you have a guy who knows what the Old Testament says. Uh, the Old Testament says things like, be holy as I am holy. 
right? Be perfect. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The, the whole earth is full of his glory. Uh, God is depicted in the Old Testament as being perfect. Hmm. My siblings are not perfect. <laughs> and I have a front row yeah. seat to their imperfection. Right? Does this make sense? Yeah, yeah. You know, you have a lot of siblings, Tyler, and you uh, have a front row seat to know they're not perfect. Now, listen, maybe one of your brothers, maybe let's say Zach, right? Maybe <laughs> Zach goes out and he convinces some of his friends that he's perfect. That's great for his friends, but you know he isn't because you've been around and you've seen him <laughs> and you've lived with him and you've got a front row seat to know he's not perfect. There's no way that you could have Jews in the first century believe somebody was God if they were imperfect. Yeah. Does that make sense? That does. So, now, we talked about this earlier. If your brother was perfect, uh, that wouldn't convince you that he's God either. No. It would make you hate him. So, just having a perfect brother doesn't make you think he's God. It makes you resentful, which is what we saw. But if yeah. that same brother who you knew was perfect showed up to you after he was crucified and he rose from the dead. You'd put two and two together. He rose from the dead as a stamp of approval <laughs> from God, and I know this guy was perfect my whole life. He must be God. If, if he just rose, so like if my brother rose from the dead, yeah. I wouldn't believe he's God because I know he's not perfect. See, you have to have knowing he was perfect, which James would be the best person to know this because he was the closest in age sibling-wise. So he would have known Jesus the longest, right? Yeah. And yeah. he would have known Jesus when Jesus was the youngest. Uh, not youngest sibling, but when Jesus was at his youngest. Yeah, that's right. James had a front row seat to seeing his brother all the way growing up. He witnessed more of Jesus' life than his other siblings. Than his other that's siblings. A, yeah, that's, that's what I mean. Point. Yep. Right. So, Jesus, or, so James knew Jesus was perfect. And then when he rose from the dead, you put that together and you go, okay, you must be God. And that's why he was willing like, to die for that fact. Just, just imagine being in James' shoes the moment that he, you discover that your brother's God after oh he resurrected. Like, after but, he shows up to you. Yeah, I don't – I mean, <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine well, I mean, like, like. like just his – I mean, just the disciples are freaking out in general, like, with the react, their reactions and seeing him. Imagine it being your brother. Mm-hmm. Like, like just, just yeah. how and and how yeah. you and how angry and hateful you were towards him, and then the forgiveness yeah, and then that realizing he'd offer. What happened. And, yeah, yeah, it's just I so mean, crazy. It is amazing. So, um, the, and that your brother f- died for your sins. That's just crazy yes. to think about. That's like wow, <laughs> <laughs> all the mean things you did to him. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's what that's where. The, again, we're going to talk about the disciples believing Jesus was God. We're going to talk right, about yeah. Paul converting and believing Jesus was God. But the the fact that his brothers believed he was God. Your siblings believe you were God and and didn't just believe it in a careless way, but were willing to die for that belief. Were, were willing to be killed for that belief. That's powerful. And and if you're a skeptic out there, you have to make sense of this data. You have to go, okay, yeah. what else happened? What's another hypothesis other than the resurrection of Jesus? What is the hypothesis that could have occurred that could have brought about these circumstances? Why would certain guys hate their brother and then decide, ah, you know what, he's God, let's die for that belief? Makes no sense at all. Yeah, yeah, it, it doesn't. And I mean, we're, we're going to go a lot more in depth too uh, on another episode coming up soon on uh, different reasons why people... People would dis- think that this is uh, that this didn't occur. Yeah, we're going to look at the other the naturalistic hypothesis yes, of yes. what occurred, and they all fall so short; it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, is uh, like when you take the evidence, you have to try to 
way in the this account of Jesus' brothers because mm-hmm. this is so so important. It's thinking. It's huge, man. Yeah. Like like I'm I I don't think anybody can convince their siblings that they're God to the point where they'd be willing to die for that belief. Especially if they hated them before they died. Yeah, especially yeah. if they hated them. Like it makes no sense. The only thing that makes sense of this is James knew he was perfect before he died. Yeah. And then after he died, he rose from the dead and showed up to him. Yeah, and why would you die that for that? Sense. Why would you die for that? Die that's for, the thing that I... Die for what? Oh, yeah. Why would you die if it wasn't Yeah, that? that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, if he didn't rise from the dead, there's no good explanation to these events that occurred. And the other thing is, this isn't the only piece of evidence we have. Yeah. You've, got the, you've got the empty tomb. You've got the, the disciples. You've got Paul. You've got he for sure died. He didn't just pass out. You've got the inception of the church. Like, where did this whole Christianity thing start from? Yeah. Uh, there's so much more evidence, but... But this is a piece of a cumulative argument that can only be answered if the guy rose from the dead. None of this could have happened unless something Mm. really, really crazy occurred. And that's the whole claim of Christianity. Something really crazy happened 2,000 years ago, and God's trying to get the attention of the world to focus on, hey, this is a big deal for human beings. (laughs) The resurrection of Jesus shows that this guy had God's stamp of approval on him, and man, we probably should listen to the words of a guy whose God's stamp of approval is on. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, that's that's just something – this is just – Super important for us as Christians to know. And then um, uh, for those of you that may be skeptics or agnostics and just uh, listening to this podcast and thinking through the topics that we've been going over this month, um, just be considering what we're saying. Because uh, Jesus, we we are here talking on this podcast today because we believe Jesus rose from the dead. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole focus of this uh, and the podcast in general is that we believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Yep. And uh, that's the goal of this podcast is to uh, equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. And we also want to equip uh, any skeptics or non-believers with evidence as well. So that way uh, you can just come to the point of understanding and hopefully seeing uh, just that the evidence is out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's that's the truth of it is is Christianity totally hinges on whether Jesus rose from the dead or not. If he did then you need to listen to what he says. If he didn't, the whole thing's trash. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's what Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 15. Right, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's says what he if says. The, if the dead are not raised, Christ has not been raised, and you're still in your sins. Yeah, he and says all your that, friends who died are, yeah. are dead and gone, mm-hmm. and they, they died in their sins. Yeah, he says that all over the place. He yep. just talks about, yeah, if Christ did not die and rise again, then our faith is in vain. That's yep. the whole point. And then he says, uh, what did he say? He says, and we're of all men most to be pitied. Yeah. yeah he said, we're a sad sack of people. If we <laughs> hoped for Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. And so everything about Christianity comes down to the resurrection. Did he rise from the dead or not? And I'm I'm convinced that he did because there's too much evidence pointing towards that being the hypothesis that makes sense of all of the data. Yes, And this yes. is one of those pieces, Jesus, brother James. What would convince you that your sibling is God? He'd have to be perfect, and you'd need to see him risen from the dead. Yes, And those exactly. are the two criteria that we, we see people convinced of this. And so the assumption is those two things must have happened. There's no way anybody die for the belief that their brother's God mm. unless they had good reasons to die for it. Yeah, they had to. And so um, so thank you again for listening. Uh, again, if you have any questions of the content and material that we shared with this podcast – uh, and you just want to learn more, please send us messages or email. Uh, you can email us at ChristCultureCoffee at gmail.com, or you can send us a message on Instagram. 
Uh, but please, if you, you have any questions at all, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Uh, yep. we, we'd love to help you out. We do. So. We'd, love, we'd love to hear your feedback or questions you have, what you're processing and thinking through. And also, check out the show notes. I'm going to put some links in there to Gary Habermas's stuff on the yes. minimal facts approach. Um, it's just such a good argument because we're using the sources that the atheistic scholars will allow us. Yeah, yeah. And proving through those that the resurrection must have occurred. Yes, yes. And so it's important. Yes, very important. So be with us next week for sure as we continue this study on the resurrection and all of the evidence for it. But thanks so much for joining us today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. We are glad that you listen. This is why we do it, is so people can listen and be equipped to go out and change culture for the Lord. So thanks for being with us today, and we will catch you guys next week. Yep, thank you. You have been listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast ministry of Desert Springs Community Church in Goodyear, Arizona. For more information, visit our website at dscchurch.com.